We are recording with ambiance. Woohoo! Because Sarah and I are having and and we're and actually em- here. Sarah, Empress Vocal Fry, and I are having tacos. I'm pumped. It is a Friday night. I'm pumped. And because tacos. Sarah just competed in her first NASA. She did not win. <laughs> nope. But she represented very well. Oh, it was cool. It was a cool experience. First, I mean, I very much expected this just to be a first time. See how it goes. See how it works. Tell them what you're saying. What'd you oh, I started with Chacon the Save. And then they called a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, a bunch of other stuff. bunch I, of other stuff. I thought you particularly sang the Britain well. Oh, thank you. I really liked the Britain. And I thought you sang the La Dame Wiste really well. The La Dame, it felt so much better tonight than yeah. it has in a while. Like, yeah. that was that was nice. I, I was glad they called it because they also called Octopus. If anybody out there cares. Uh, and that one is not always my favorite to sing. And so I, I liked being able to come back to a Mozart piece that I, I do very much enjoy. Shows to go, yeah, if you put Mozart on a package. They're even if there's it. two. They're going to call it. A hundred percent. Even if there's two. I mean, uh, I, I knew. Like, I was like, they're, they're going to. So we're here at Southern Region Nats. Mm-hmm. We had a almost, we had a I guess, capacity crowd today. Yeah, I mean... What, like, yeah, I, I don't think we really could have fit anyone else. Any more people? We were in the choir Which room and awesome. probably, probably had, what, 60 people there or something like that? Thank you so much. We just gotten uh, some uh, chips and uh, maybe Dips. queso, salsa, and guacamole. Awesome, awesome. Uh, that, that's that's very vocal fry. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, we had a good we had a good talk uh, on our laryngeal manipulation stuff, sort of a good warm-up for us for National. Yeah, it really was. I mean, and it was awesome to see that people are interested. Yeah. I guess was... that was my thing. Like, I really thought nobody was going to come because I was going to be like, I mean, we're into this, and there are definitely some other people. But at Regional Nats, you know, it's mostly students. There were a lot but of students there. But there were a lot there. of students there. So yeah. I was actually very impressed. Like, I was pleased. Yeah, we and were I thrilled. I thought it went pretty well. So yeah. we're going to play Yay. it for you now. Oh yeah, you're gonna listen to it if if you care about uh, that sort of thing. Because it's this week's episode. Uh, congratulations yep. to all our MC semifinalists and hopefully finalists. Uh, yep. Haven't announced yet, but hopefully finalists and uh, maybe even winners. Congratulations uh, to all Southern Region Nats participants. Go Nats! Yeah, it's been a, it's been a good day for me. Weekend for y'all. Yeah, well, and your, and your concert was Thursday night, too. Yes, my students' big concert was Thursday night. I then left that, hopped on a plane, and came over here for Region Nats. Woo-hoo. And Been a big week, big week. And all in all, things have gone well. Survival was the goal, and I have exceeded it. <laughs> you did more than survive. Well, thank you, thank you. That's, uh, you did more than survive. What did you have for breakfast? Oh my gosh, that was a long time ago. Oh, whoa, y'all, y'all are going to be so proud of me. I had eggs. I mean, I also had muffins. There were also whoa, muffins. Whoa, but I did. Well, my whoa. mom offered, so I'm staying with my parents because free. And my mom offered to make me eggs. And even though I was like, oh, eggs, at the same time, I was like, eggs are healthy. And this is nice of her to offer. And I'm going to sing and stuff and protein. So I was like, okay, I'll whoa. eat some eggs. And then I ate a muffin because is that it breakfast if I don't eat a muffin? It was cranberry orange, in case you care. It was yummy. That seems right. They had big time muffins at the uh, members' breakfast this morning. Wow, some of us aren't that fancy. Uh, big time. Uh, uh, we didn't eat them, but because uh, we don't uh, eat breakfast. Oh. But, but they well, looked. They looked good. But the question is, were they just like the store bought ones that are like that have that weird like crust on them? 
Because those are not. They had like fancy wrappers. I'm very picky. Yeah, those might have been store bought. I'm picky about my muffins. Uh, I'm pretty sure they were store bought, but. Uh, a lot of times, store bought ones have all those sugar crystals on top. Who wants that on a muffin? I mean, it sounds pretty good to me if I no. ate sugar. No, it's not good. All right. Muffins are good. They don't. If they're good muffins, they don't need a bunch of sugar on top. Well, we need to stop talking because Empress Vocal Fry is going to eat all the chips. Yeah, I want queso. Um, so, uh, Y'all listen, listen to us talk. Vocal fam, we love you, and uh, we hope you guys have a great week. And uh, here's a little... Uh, talk? Conference session. Conference session? Presentation? Yeah. 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 Peace out, Vocal fam. Awesome. Bye. Hi, folks. Hey. On behalf of my... Wonderful colleague Sarah, welcome. Thanks for being here. Um, seeing all, all wow, I, I, uh, we weren't we were quite not expecting uh, this many people. All right, well, here yeah. we go. Fridays on your podcast app. Search Vocal Fry Podcast. You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice, science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from your Sunday-included vocal tract. Have you practiced today? Ah, yes, this is me. All right, so what is laryngeal manipulation? Because those are some words that just kind of sound awkward to most of us. And the crazy thing is, is that if you go to look this up in the literature, be it through journals, databases, library, there are a lot of different words that are gonna bring up search results. We have a bunch listed here, laryngeal massage, circumlaryngeal massage, circumlaryngeal manual therapy. All these things, they are very similar with little differences. Circumlaryngeal basically means anything where you would be touching your throat in the area around your larynx, but maybe not necessarily moving the larynx, whereas laryngeal massage, laryngeal, laryngeal manual therapy, laryngeal manipulation, things like this refer to actually manipulating your larynx. Um, all of these are terms that you can find things with. Massage is done more by like massage therapists or what we did in this study is a lot more similar to laryngeal massage because anything with the therapy or the myofascial release is done by a licensed therapist, which we are not. <laughs> so yeah. Here, so we got to this because one of our colleagues at the medical center said to us, "What do you mean singers don't do this?" She was very confused about the fact that there's a culture amongst singers and singing teachers that you actually should not touch the larynx with your own hand and actually manipulate the structures of the larynx. First of all, let me say that the structures of your throat in general are very rigorous. And unless you're making yourself pass out by putting excessive pressure on your carotid artery, the likelihood that you would do any damage is very minimal. Now, if you are truly obsessive compulsive, I guess you could press hard enough that you could break your hyoid bone, but golly, is that, that's, that's excessive. Um, so uh, our, our colleagues at LSU, including Dr. Sims, um, did a, a survey uh, looking at singers and, and, and warm-up strategies, and they found that actually very few singing, singing, singing teachers or singers recommended or did any type of exercise that involved this at all. In fact, it was fewer than, I think, 13%. Um, and, I, and that included people even including stretching. So very small numbers. There have been lots of studies that have been done 
um, on using laryngeal manual therapy uh, as, a, as a therapeutic setting, we are the first center in the world that we know of that has actually investigated the efficacy of a singer doing this on themselves to prepare themselves for optimal performance. As far as we know, there was one study that was done by Jacob Lieberman and his team, and Jacob is sort of the father of, of uh, laryngeal manipulation uh, in Europe. There was a team in Wisconsin that sort of fathered this uh, in America with Nelson Roy and his team at the University of Wisconsin. But um, Lieberman did one study where they investigated um, the, the use of this as a preparation device for performance, but it was the therapist doing the intervention. And unless you can afford to hire a physical therapist for $800 an hour to prepare you to warm up, probably not going to be able to hire a therapist to do this for you. So we were looking at actually doing this on ourselves. Yes, and so that's, as he's sort of already spoken about, why are we scared of touching our own throats? Because, think about it, you're not, it's not something you do on a regular basis. We kind of avoid touching our throats. Why is this? Uh, a runner, dancers, all these athletes or dancers are also, you know, performers, they're not scared of touching their in instruments. We would laugh at a dancer who was scared to touch their feet or a runner who was scared to massage his calves or something like that. It's absolutely absurd. But as singers, we often are very nervous about touching our throat, be it because we don't know much about, it's a little, it seems kind of mystical, mysterious. We're not super knowledgeable about what's in there. Also, kind of a survival instinct, you know, usually we don't love people getting near our throats. It's kind of fragile at times, but not too fragile, which is the point of what he said. There also turns out to be a history of this. Um, in, in 2017, uh, we got to go to Vanderbilt and uh, Dr. Cleveland invited us up to Vanderbilt and they have actually been shipping most of their voice therapy patients out for physical therapy to get myofascial release done rather than even doing speech therapy anymore. So before they even see the speech language pathologist, they're immediately shipping them off to their physical therapy department so that they can have myofascial release done uh, and they've seen incredible results in their efficacy uh, in terms of being able to do way less speech therapy and get better results even with those patients who have seen extreme, extremely disordered voices. We got to watch um, one young woman who came in after a gig. It was their eight o'clock appointment that morning and she came in like this. It was, it was bad. After the hour intervention, she ended, she, she sat up and she goes, yeah, I feel a lot better. <laughs> she had not done any vocalizing, any speech therapy, any, anything. The really crazy part where that actually gets a little bit voodoo-y is that most of the work actually that the woman did on the larynx was from underneath going under the strap muscles to get to the larynx. But I will admit that the two women at Vanderbilt that do this, they're like witch doctors. I mean, so um, they, are, they also charge $800 an hour. That's the billable rate. Um, uh, but Dr. Cleveland theorized um, because of his own history with this, because he was against it. He was against it because his teacher, William Vennard, said, oh, well, you shouldn't touch the larynx. Douglas Stanley students touch the larynx. You shouldn't, Stanley screwed a bunch of people up. You shouldn't touch the larynx. Now we're not here to smear Mr. Stanley. 
We're just here to give you a little bit of history. If you are not familiar with this name in the annals of voice pedagogy, it's probably because most of your teachers never would have used this textbook. Um, he was a bit of a notorious figure in the history of, of, of voice ped. Um, this is an image that actually I got from Jonathan Yarrington, our colleague at the University of Southern Mississippi. Uh, Jonathan did his dissertation on Cornelius Reed um, and included a bunch of Stanley stuff because Stanley, Reed claimed that Stanley ruined his voice. And uh, this is an image of uh, Stanley performing one of his manipulations on a singer. He also has some images, uh, if you go to Jonathan's dissertation, which is on ProQuest, some images of the tongue instrument, and it looks like a medieval torture device. Um, some very odd things came out of this, and, and, and uh, but the interesting thing is, Dr. Cleveland said in, in 2018, we were in Los Angeles for a meeting of about the 35 leading voice ped teachers uh, in North America, Lorraine was there with me, and uh, Basically, Tom said to the whole room of us, you know the thing you guys all missed? The thing you guys all missed was laryngeal manipulation. All y'all missed it. I don't know why none of y'all are looking at it. Now, he knew I had just been at Vanderbilt, and he didn't want to say to the whole room, you know, this guy over here is looking at this. But he called us all out on the fact that we all missed this. Now, it made a whole bunch of people really uncomfortable in the room, but there we are. Uh, so here's our lovely team. Oh, yes. So we partnered up with the University of Mississippi Medical Center in order to do this research project. So we have been in conjunction with Dr. John Swinefirth, who is an otolaryngologist there, and Ms. Josie Alston, who is a speech-language pathologist, and then Dr. Perna and I also all came together, and they were already interested in muscle tension dysphonia patients, and a lot of these patients, they were farming out to other hospitals even for physical therapy because for whatever reason, UMMC does not actually have physical therapists that perform a myofascial release, and we were just curious kind of then, could this be used in healthy singers, healthy patients, and why don't they use laryngeal manipulation? Why don't we massage our own throats and necks in order to help prevent any sort of vocal injuries or also just to help warm up in general, reduce tension? I want to bring up two points that we didn't cover. Myofascial release. Fascia is the tissue between your skin and everything inside your body. Okay, there are two sort of schools of myofascial release. Um, but the, the, the one that they do at Vanderbilt is actually known as John Barnes MFR. Um, there's another one, a uh, guy named Walt Fritz, who actually works with singers more often. Um, uh, Josie attended one of Walt's day-long seminars a couple years back as we were getting ready to do this. Uh, the other thing, um, there was one other point I wanted to make about that, and I don't remember what it was. Uh, it doesn't matter. It'll come back to me. All that being said, um, we do want to go ahead and say on the front end, it's a lot of words that essentially say, don't touch your students. If you're not licensed to be a physical therapist or a massage therapist or a speech language pathologist, don't touch your students' necks. It's not good. It may not even be legal where you live. So it's a lot of words. Don't do it. So, That's our recommendation. So it, it, it is a little bit odd, uh, us investigating this, um, because what, what, again, what we're looking at is ways that we can best communicate these practices to singing students and to singers to perform on themselves. Because I was, we were asked about this at Voice Foundation, actually, this spring. We presented some of this preliminary data at Voice Foundation last uh, June. And we were asked about, you know, sort of the ethics of giving 
physical therapy exercises to singers who are also themselves not physical therapists? The answer is simple. Every MFR physical therapist who has patients gives a homework sheet very similar to what our last slide is going to be that we're going to show you. They all give them homework to take home and exercises to do on themselves every day between their sessions. Because it's not like they go in for therapy every week. They go for therapy once a week. Or they go for therapy every week, but not every day. So I, I, the, the, the sort of ethics of it is the PTs are doing this anyway. And they're not giving them any more training than we're going to give you here in a second. Uh, so how did we, the first project we did, we essentially compared um, four, four different scenarios. Um, we, we, we used a day where we had a vocalization video where our subjects um, vocalized to uh, a video led by me with fairly standard kind of exercises, um, panting, hissing, trying to get breath get going, semi-occluded vocal tract exercises, arpeggios, scales, a pretty standard kind of 10 minute voice warm up. We had them do another day where we did basically our intervention was them sitting in silence for 10 minutes just to have a, that kind of control. We did another day where we did um, laryngeal manipulation by itself, but we did not have them sing at all. And then we did another day where we had them do laryngeal manipulation followed by vocalization. In our follow-up study, which I can mention later, we're actually having them take that last day and flip it on its head where we're having them vocalize and then do laryngeal manipulation so we can compare the two because we actually do have a statistically significant finding. So the instructional videos, we had a day where we came in before we even started the studies and filmed a set of videos um, with the vocal warm-ups, the traditional vocal warm-ups. We had a set that were for treble voices, a set that were for non-treble voices. We let it be self-identified. And then we also created a set of videos to walk you through the laryngeal manipulation um, You can protocol. see Sarah on the screen right yep. there. Lovely, yes, I'm sure. It was the most comfortable day of her life. Wildly um. uncomfortable, but we used this in order to have control in the instruction that the students then received because we knew that every student was doing the exact same exercises for the exact same length of time and they had the exact same wording across the board and it allowed us to have that control going into it. There was a 2018 survey um, that was presented at Voice Foundation and it, it actually tried to debunk every bit of research that's previously been done on laryngeal manipulation and it gave basically two reasons. It, I mean, it, it was a lengthy lit review. I mean, it was like 400 studies that they reviewed in, the, in, the, in this lit review. And basically they found that there were two problems. All the therapist-based studies were, had, had terrible methodology because the therapist was just looking to make the patient better. You know, they're not looking to do the same thing every time. They're just trying to help somebody be better. And the other problem, what was the other problem? Uh, the ends. Oh, yeah. And then they had terrible end numbers, which is also not surprising because most singing research has terrible end numbers. Uh, this is me just protecting subject anonymity from one of our current subjects who I inked out with my finger. Uh, so what are we actually measuring? This is a, a little bit of science, um, but, but don't, don't let me just encourage you. This device right here is the K-Pentax Phonatory Aerodynamic System. One of my former graduate students, not one of our subjects, using it here. This is actually at the hospital, not, not in my office. Um, and the way we measure these things, there's a, there's a pressure tube that's inside of that mask. So the mask itself is measuring airflow through a little airflow head, which gives us an airflow reading. And then there's a little pressure tube that goes inside your mouth 
And when you close your lips on it, so as you're sustaining a pitch and you're going pa, 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 when you close, we get an intraoral pressure reading. And then that gives us through an algorithm an idea of what your subglottic pressure is on that task. And we have them sing. We have, right now, the way we're doing it is we're giving them a controlled pitch. So guys are doing that pitch and ladies are doing that pitch. And we have them do a, a string of about 12 of them. And then we take a little snippet of that. And that's how we average out basically a baseline of efficiency of their phonation. That's how you can think about it. We're basically getting a baseline of how their efficiency is before they do the task, and then a baseline of their efficiency after they do the task. Does that make sense? That's basically all we're doing. There's some other things. Oh, and it also measures, this is actually an important point. <laughs> it also measures their sound pressure level, so their, their decibel level. Is this me again? Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. This is this is you. Yeah. Um, so it says subjects project one because again we've moved into the second phase of the project and so we're only talking about what we did last year. Um, we had eleven college age voice students that participated. So this is more of a pilot study, smaller in number, and all of them had to have had at least one year of prior voice study, college level. So no freshmen were involved. Um, they had to still be studying with a teacher at the time, and they all were examined stroboscopically to make sure that they were healthy voices. Do I have another thing on here? Um, probably. And there were four, as he mentioned before, we had four straight days, early morning testing, because we wanted to get to them before they had really done a lot of singing, done a lot of talking for the day, because the whole point of this was to see how it worked as a warm-up. Our main goal was really just to get to them before, like, choir or before a voice lesson. So it kind of varied. We've actually amended that for the second yeah, round. Yeah, we're not doing that so much anymore, and we've switched around days. But in this study, this is how we ordered it. Yeah. Uh, here's a bunch of number salad, but it's an important number salad. Um, so the day, the, the, the day that they just vocalized, we almost had a significantly, uh, a statistically significant increase in sound pressure level. We had no differences in airflow that were reportable. We had no differences in subglottic pressure that were reportable. But we almost had a difference in sound pressure level. Where that gets interesting is the day that we combined vocalizing with laryngeal manipulation, we had a, a actually incredibly statistically significant uh, result with a with p, p values are essentially the lower your p value is, the less likely that what happened happened by chance. Our p value was less than 0 .0001. This is actually the gold standard for what you're looking for in a research study. So we had a definite finding that for some reason, when these folks did the laryngeal manipulation and they did the vocalizing together, they got louder. And they got louder without increasing their subglottic pressure or their airflow. This is where it gets interesting, which is why we're repeating it because we don't know why. <laughs> I can't give you an answer. Um, so this is, this is basically what I just said. Um, so like I said, it, it, we're, we're, gonna, we're redoing it um, because I, I wanna see, so here's a conjecture. It's possible that on that fourth day, how many of you have ever sung into an airflow mask before? I'm guessing it's... Okay, y'all don't know. 
<laughs> humans, humans at our school, yes. And, and, yeah. Yeah, great. Okay, if you've never sung into an airflow mask, the first time it's a little weird. And we always did the vocalization day first. Um, so it's entirely possible that just by the end of the week, when they did the two tasks together, they had sung enough paw syllable trains that they were really comfortable singing into the mask, which is why we got the increase. We don't know though, and so we need to find out. There are other areas that we'd like to go to for this. Um, one of the things that had been a hot topic about 2014, 2015 was the use of personal massage devices to do these kind of tasks. That's an area we'd like to tackle. Almost all of the research that's been done in that vein is garbage. The methodologies were terrible or paid for by yeah, the company sponsors. that sells the device. <laughs> Uh, okay, so here's the, here's the thing. That's a QR code. If you want to take out your phone, it will take you to a Google document that includes both our disclaimer statement, our names, and this protocol that we're about to basically take you through. Quickly. Fairly quickly, although we, 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 we got some time. We started a little late. So, and then uh, we want to give you guys time to ask questions. But you know, just at any point while we're talking, just take out your phone, that, that QR code, just open your camera, It'll pop you right to Safari or Google or whatever your internet good old browser is. Um, because we're going to do this. We're going to, you oh. feel free to not do this. Feel free to yeah, just sit there. To we're gonna, but we're going to show you basically what it is that our subjects do. Now, here was, our, here was our goal in designing this. Two things. One, we wanted a procedure that we could share with a singer that they might be able to do either in combination with vocalizing or in place of vocalizing. The idea being that if this actually optimally prepared you for performance and you're at NOLA or at uh, now Opera America, that's basically where all the auditions are, or you're in your cattle call audition trying to do an equity audition and you really don't have somewhere to warm up or you're riding the subway late to get to your audition, could you do this even in place of vocalizing and be prepared for optimal performance? We don't know yet. Um, we're working on that. We're not, we're not there yet. But with that in mind, we wanted something that could be accomplished in a short amount of time. So essentially, each of these exercises, we only have you do, if it's a, like one side and the other side, it's 30 seconds and 30 seconds. If it's just like, when we had to hold the tongue out, we have like seven, uh, eight. When we have them do this, it's just a minute of them standing there like this. It's actually, it's actually the most funny thing, because we, we of course give them a sanitary glove <laughs> and to do it when we're doing the testing. Um, so maybe don't come and shake my hand after now that I've held my, yeah. my mouth with my hand. Um, but we wanted something that could be done fairly quickly. I will tell you, the MFR people would say that these times are not long enough to make a difference. Um, when they did the study on singers where they found good efficacy, it was about 20 minutes of touching. This is only 10. Um, and the 20 was fairly directed uh, to the larynx itself. Um, I will tell you also that when physical therapists work on singers, every single person we saw worked on, they did not just work on their neck and their larynx. 
Every, here's the one thing that every single singer got worked on. There is a muscle that attaches your pelvis to your spine called your psoas, P-S-O-A-S. This is the single muscle that got worked on in every patient treatment I saw. Not one singing patient came in and did not have their psoas worked. The other interesting thing that we haven't worked in but that I got from, from, from that day at Vanderbilt was that their basic theory was that you can basically work one side of the body and the other side of the body will then respond reciprocally. That like, I mean, they would spend 50 minutes of the hour on one side of the body and about 10 on the other side of the body. The patient wouldn't even know. Um, I don't think our Alexander friends would agree with that, by the way, <laughs> just for what it's worth. Uh, okay, so should we do this, Sarah? Sure. Okay, so first one, take your hand on the shoulder, look up the opposite way. Oh, We're going to go through this kind of quick. So that's step one. <laughs> if you have a bum shoulder like me, it's going to hurt one direction. So then let's flip it. Other hand, look up. So we're starting outside and working in. We're starting with bigger picture muscles working in toward the larynx. Okay, chin up, both hands on your sternum. Stretch that out. There's a lot of good research being done on this pot. You can let that go. There's a lot of good research being done on chin height, relation to heel height by Amelia Rawlings. I really wanna point you toward it. Um, finding out a lot about not only efficiency of heel height and importance of optimal heel height, but also its relationship to chin position, which actually is turning out to be incredibly important for treble voices, particularly. When you're doing the first one, are you supposed to Yeah, you should, mm -hmm. in all of the, oh yes, thank you for asking that actually. In all of these, we would suggest giving a good amount of pressure. It would be our statement. My dear colleague Josie would say, push till it hurts. <laughs> which is actually what the Fritz people say in general. Um, I'm not prepared to say that to you. I'm just relaying other information. What's third? Uh, okay, your, yeah. your sternal heads are these two ball things right here. Uh, I will tell you in MTD patients, yours may not hurt at all, but a lot of times when a PT goes to work on an MTD patient, they can't even touch this part of their neck. Like they'll like wince immediately away from you doing that. What's for? Hmm? Yes, thank you. That was the other thing on that slide that I thought I said there was another thing. Muscle tension dysphonia, think of it as excessive uh, laryngeal muscle tension. It's muscle tension in and around the larynx that is usually causing some sort of, dis sort of dysphonic state where the glottis is not completely closing or there's asymmetry in the glottis. The unfortunate part, and one of the reasons we didn't choose to investigate MTD is because there's four identified types of it in the literature and all of them have some sort of psychological cause. And I didn't want it's, to, it's, the psychology research is too, I'm not touching that. <laughs> what was okay. for? Masseter. Big jaw muscle right here. And, and we'll have, you know, we, we sometimes we'll just say in the video, just press. Then we'll have them switch and actually circularly massage. Um, push up, up on one. Yeah, we'll do up on one and down on the other. Then another swap. one. Hmm? And then just swap sides. Yeah, and we'll swap sides. Uh, what's next? I can't see this. Um, vertically. Okay. Update. Take one hand, find your Adam's apple. Take your other hand in your chin and basically sort of stretch out the skin. 
You're basically attempting to stretch the fascia in this. This is a good old voice teacher one. Take your thumb and basically dig into your tongue. I mean, this is, this is actually a voice. I've seen voice teachers do this for decades. How do you find your tongue? Oh, it's just under, under your chin. Now you aren't meaning push these to the on the larynx. I'm not oh, on the links, not the links. I'm, I'm saying up here. I mean, when we're we're getting there. We're getting there. You want the, the jaw. I'm not saying. I didn't say that. I said that that's what my colleague would say. With us, you might experience some discomfort if you're putting a lot of pressure there. A lot of times, that does kind of indicate that you do have more tension in that area. But we wouldn't say do it until it hurts because you might not have tension there. Um, then we do the jawline. Basically from the point here, just right along the mandible, just in stroke motion, your jaw is your mandible. Yeah. You only have one jaw, <laughs> your upper teeth are attached to your skull, just so we're clear. Uh, don't do this one because it's gross it's to do without a glove, but that's it. Pulling out when you grab the tongue, just hold it. If you see musical theater, I strongly recommend it because you need that tongue to be able to come to the front of your vocal tract to raise that first form and high enough to belt. So, um, next is this. where are we? Massage larynx. Okay. There are two that we deal directly with the larynx. So let me let me just not freak everybody out. Okay? <laughs> so the first one, um, let me describe the larynx because I'm not going to touch your larynx. There's a bump. Okay. The big bump is your thyroid cartilage. Your fingers, like if you take a thumb and an index finger, you can actually feel that immediately above the big cartilage, which is your thyroid, you can actually feel your hyoid bone, which is a little wishbone-like, the only floating bone anywhere around there. It actually is not a floating meaning. It's, it's not attached to another bone. Um, and you can actually get your fingers in there I will tell you, my own personal experience, this was a huge part of my own vocal recovery from a very dark period of singing, was actually me actually in my thyroid, so this is called the thyrohyoid space. This space is called the thy thyroid cartilage, hyoid bone, thyrohyoid space. Um, this was a, it was a critical part of my own vocal recovery. Now, this is the one that gets a little bit, and, and I wouldn't do that harder than is comfortable at first. I have students that have done this by their own accord. One particular former graduate student who gets excessively aggressive with his larynx, um, but he found much more freedom in his singing once he did. Um, the, the final thing is actually taking your thumb on your, this I got from the folks at Vanderbilt. Because they, they did this with pretty much every patient I saw that day. Is taking the thumb on the thyroid and taking the index finger on the hyoid and going in the opposite directions. Yeah. <laughs> it's my least favorite. She doesn't like this. I don't. I, you, you may not like all of these, but I can actually take mine a good bit to the side. It's, it's not my favorite. I don't like to talk when I'm Anyway, so this is our protocol. Um, th this is the exercise. We give them prompts while we go through the video and we let them take time to do it. Um, but before we wrap up, do you have any questions you want to ask us 
uh, about this. Um, I'm happy to talk. We've talked about this multiple times on Vocal Fry. Um, so if you don't listen to us, we're everywhere podcasts can be found. There are numerous episodes where we've talked about this. Yes. My Dog Ate My Data is a, is, a, is a good episode where we talked about this. Um, I don't, I don't even, even remember know. the episode titles. If you find that one, most of the episodes around it are us doing the study. The first and so study. we're discussing kind of the protocol and things like that. So it's an yeah. easy way. Any, any questions you want to ask? Are we crazy people up here? 